So I, yeah, um, now I lost my train of thought. This is what happens when you get old and you become a, a grandpa. Um, oh, you were in the first class. Welcome to Tea with My Uncle Iros. Lazy Susan style conversations with mentors and musicians that have inspired me over the years. I'm your host, Son of Paper. Uncle Iroh is a character in Avatar who my generation has deemed the most wise and patient mentor ever. And so this season, I sat down with my uncles and aunties to pick their brains on how to best navigate this planet with wisdom, grace, and compassion. And what better beverage for conversation than tea? Welcome to uh, my podcast. We're back on another episode of Tea with My Uncle Iros and have a very, very just all around hilarious and just super instructive, really critical to my high school experience teacher of mine, former teacher of mine, Chris Martin. I'll let you introduce yourself from here. Go ahead. Well, I'm very honored, Kyle. You know, I just learned that I'm uh, season one, one of the one of the first eight. So, you know, this is this historic occasion. And uh, I said to you before that I, I didn't know who it's Uncle Iroh. Is that how I say it? When I watched your first uh, pilot, I, uh, you know, I learned who he was. And I, I, I noticed that he was both the I wrote this down, the most wise and patient. And so I, uh, I'm accepting that, that I'm the most wise and patient. So it's good. good. So, yeah, so I, I am Chris Martin and, uh, I am, I was, uh, Kyle's teacher twice, I think, right? You weren't in, in history, right? You were in senior year and sophomore year. I was thinking about it earlier today. I have no memory of you in sophomore year. Isn't that weird? Like you were there all year, but I, of course, remember you beyond that. So I've taught at University High School, which is, of course, Kyle's alma mater. This year, I think is my 13th year. It could be my 14th year. I'm not really sure. And maybe you don't know this, Kyle, but last year, not this year, but last year, I became a grandfather. Do you know this? Check this out. I'm going to close my video for a second. And I put this picture up here. This is from Thanksgiving. Um, and I'm going to stop the video. But what you'll see right here, that's him. Oh, wow. I know. I know, right? God, it's great. Best gig ever, being a grandpa. Wow. Before we just dive into more about us and our yes. dynamic, I wanted to just get more, ask questions I've never asked you before. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I gave wanted you free, to, free license. So <laughs> I wanted to ask about how you landed at UHS and also before that, how you got into teaching mm-hmm. and maybe even what you thought you were going to be before you became a teacher. So I, I ended up doing a, a PhD in history. And so I thought like everybody who starts a PhD program, you think, oh, you're going to you're going to be one of those college professors and you're going to wear a tweed jacket or, you know, that kind of thing. But you quickly realize that there are like no jobs available um, really for academics. And so but I really like to teach. And I thought when I was in college, I was either going to go to law school or I was going to go get a PhD in history. And history wasn't something that I ever I didn't really like it all that much in high school. I didn't really think much about it, but I just started taking it in college at, at Berkeley and and I just really liked it. And I was um, and I was decent at it. And so I just kept getting more and more interested in it. And I just thought, I really don't want to be a lawyer because um, 
you know, I, I just don't. And, um, and I thought, well, I want to do this because I like this. And you get to read books, you get to write stuff. And I like to do all that stuff. I actually think teaching is, uh, is kind of great. I, I actually really enjoy it. I get to, you know, meet great, uh, great students like you who are doing these really interesting things. And, and my wife got a job in San Francisco just about the time that I was finishing my, my PhD. And so I came and I, literally looked up the first job teaching job I had that wasn't like graduate student teaching in uh, like online somewhere. And I taught on the peninsula for six years, but I always lived in San Francisco. So I always wanted to teach in San Francisco. Finally, university high school sort of uh, gave me a chance and, uh, and they seem to like me. I like them, but they seem to like me. Okay. But you know, we'll see. It's only year 13. Yeah. I mean, I, I am curious to dive a little bit more into what the experience of teaching for so many years has been like to you. I'm sure it's rewarding. I'm sure it's it's tiring at times, but overall it's it's what you chose and it's the career that you've yeah. um yeah. That you've impacted a lot of lives over the years. What does it take to be a high school teacher? Actually teaching at UHS, when I talk to like uh, friends of mine who teach college students uh, and we talk about our, our experiences, um, they're always kind of amazed. They're like, you know, your, your students actually sound better than, than mine. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, they probably are. And, uh, and so, so in that sense, it's great, right? Um, but my, I feel like in some ways, the, the teaching experience that I have is kind of a rarefied um, kind of teaching experience in a way. And that's part of what makes it great, right? You know, you always have this image of a high school teacher trying to corral all these really, uh, you know, these students who don't want to learn anything. And, you know, you, you having been at UHS, you know that it's not like that. And, you know, people are working hard and, you know, they're saying interesting things and, and doing interesting things. And so, yeah, I always feel like I'm, I'm sort of teaching at, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of teaching at a, at a small college, but where the, where the students are just a little bit younger is what it feels like sometimes. Right. I, I can definitely see that. Do you have any advice for anyone that, that might want to go into teaching high school? Cause that's, what yeah. you're most experienced with. What would yeah. you say to them when they're just still working out some pieces in their mind? The great thing about teaching is that every 15 weeks, you get a whole new crop of people. And so, you you know, it's it actually is like getting, it's mixed up all the time. And people always ask you when you teach, like, um, well, don't you get tired teaching the same thing? And actually I don't, like it gets, like you would think that you would, but you kind of do it a little bit differently uh, every time. Plus, you have different students all the time, which means that the way they're thinking about stuff is totally different. And, you know, you mix stuff up. I think you'd get bored if you literally did the same thing uh, over and over. But and that's another good thing about school, right? You can you can do all kinds of different different stuff, which is um, which is how we started in teaching the, the course that you took as a senior. Right. Um, Asian American American lives, Asian America. Right. Let's talk about that class. Um, yeah. That's definitely on my checklist to go through. Excellent. How did it come to be and why? Why did you lead the charge? 
going back to my own family and you uh and you know this as well that uh I, at least i think you know this as well the so my wife is chinese and my you know i have two kids uh who are mixed race kids half chinese half white so they're you know in a personal sense right i i have personal investment in this particular history and that wasn't really enough to make me sort of do it in and of itself but i also thought there was like a need um you know when we think about the demo demographics of San Francisco and we think about the demographics even of University High School to me it just struck me as odd that that there wasn't a a course like this in Asian American history and I was also struck that that there wasn't a greater call for it and I think there's a little bit from the time when you were there I think the the Asian student body to be sure has gotten more active in a lot of ways right when you were there I don't think Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year was even a holiday, right? Might have been the year after I left, but yeah. And I very, think it was largely the students. The students were just like, how is this possible, right? And so, and I would argue that it's not just a need for Asian American history, but also Asian history in general. And I don't think we do a very good job with that, not because we don't want to be doing a good job, but because we just don't have anybody in the history department who specializes in that. And I would include myself in that. I, I just don't know enough to be able to teach a course in Chinese history, for example. And But I did know a lot of U.S. history. And so I thought I can I can learn what I need to learn to teach this class that I thought needed to be taught. And I feel like you were in the first class, right? Isn't I was. That, me and yeah. Dylan Hahn. Yes, that's right. That's right. Of course, with Dylan Hahn. How could I forget? Um, the last time I saw, I think the last time I saw Dylan, he was running down the street in Los Angeles, flagging me down, right? I think before we, you know, just talk about Asian American history more broadly or sure. even bringing it into the modern day and issues that are coming up, I wanted to just be nostalgic for a minute and talk about that class and what it meant to me. Dylan and I were just so excited and blown away that the course was even being offered. And to be to, to be blunt and to be kind of truthful, I guess, is that we were very happy that you were the guy. If it was to be any other white guy, it would have been kind of weird. Yeah. But <laughs> because it was you and it was someone that we had enjoyed and appreciated in Civ, mm -hmm. which is the, the class that all sophomores at, at UHS take, we just knew that you were being a good ally. I mean, not everyone can be a good ally. Some people don't necessarily approach things in the right way when it comes to trying to explore another history, but the way you did it just felt just felt right. And it felt really exciting for us to be able to learn in the classroom about stuff that we had maybe just heard from the news, from our own curiosity and reading books about it from our parents. But other than those oral histories and kind of disparate pieces from the internet and from the niche amount of uh, media that we have access to. There was no one that was formally teaching it in private schools across the city. And so we were just really excited to take it. And honestly, we were terrible students, relatively speaking. I think Dylan and I are much better, uh, have been better students in, in other years, yeah. at least for me, speaking for myself, I was mainly just pulling from stuff that I already knew, I already, already known. I hardly did any of the readings. <laughs> and I think it's kind of funny, perhaps to anyone listening to this that knows me as a student or knows me. Um, obviously, I care about my about school. And I, I cared about being especially woke in terms of Asian American related issues. Yeah, it was second semester senior year. There's, there's no, 
That was my. No, uh, yeah. I forgot that it was second semester. Well, you, I feel like you, you get a pass for that, right? So I think it's. Uh, well, my memory is not of you being a you or Dylan being a being a uh, not good student. So that's that's not my memory. My my memory was being like I'm kind of a lame teacher here. It's like uh, so I was just glad you guys were all hanging with me as I was sort of like uh, you know sort of piloting this for the first time. So uh, yeah, because it was the first time around, I think I made you all like, you know, give your input. And so many of the things that you said about the class, I've actually incorporated. And uh, we now use a book. I've found lots of ways to coerce people into reading that book. You'll be happy to know. Which book is it? Uh, so it's Erica Lee's The Making of Asian America. Do a plug for Erica Lee. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's a good one. And it's like, a, it's a very straightforward, I think she's a professor at the University of Minnesota, I think. And it gives actually a real sense of the diversity of Asian America. And it gives you this sort of opportunity to, to dive into both the similarities uh, in the Asian American experience, but also the differences depending on, you know, uh, depending on whatever group we might be talking about, whatever person we might be talking about. And so. Yeah, I've been thinking about this high school and onwards. I would say that before high school, I had experience just in a cultural sense being in Chinese American spaces. So I didn't really develop that sense of Korean American identity and Korean identity. And so I went to college um, at Wesleyan University where I had lots of Korean international friends and Korean American friends and learned the language. So I, I don't know if I know if you know that, but I, I'm, uh, I can hold my own in Korean now. I can go around and order wow. mainly. <laughs> yeah, I remember I saw, I, I don't remember when or where I saw you, but I, I remembered you were taking uh, Korean language classes at yeah. uh, Wesleyan. That's right. Now, have you gone to Korea to sort of practice this? Or? I have. Um, I went abroad. So I was there for four months studying at Yonsei University. I also have family there. So it was really special to, I, I met them before, but I hadn't been able to speak to them in Korean. So uh, this was a really big shift in my identity, even, I think, in terms of the balance that I felt internally. And I think language is really a conduit to understanding culture. Yeah. Um, regardless if you even identify with that culture or not. But yeah. I majored in East Asian studies at Wesleyan. That was the closest thing I could find to Asian American studies. Truthfully, <laughs> That's why I majored in it. And it had a quote opportunity to study abroad uh, packed into it. So even beyond the class that I took with you, I've been searching to know more about the people that I uh, come from and the places where I came from. And even on both sides, I mean, I'm fifth generation Chinese American. I found out recently. I thought I was fourth gen, but I'm actually fifth gen. Oh, wow. Wow. On the Korean side, I'm second gen Korean American. Mm -hmm. So just even uh, struggling through and identifying, analyzing um, in those differences and mixed parts of my heritage. Mm -hmm. And I think it will continue to be a journey in terms of an academic sense began with your class. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. It's sort of like you, you kind of stop yourself when you find out what people are doing. You're like, wow. And so, yeah. And then to hear that actually the you know, the, the class that you, uh, that you taught actually had a, had even a small part to play in someone's sort of, uh, life path is, um, you know, kind of amazing actually. 
Well, let me, um, let me ask you a question. I know it's not me. Yes, and no, please, do, please do. Please uh, do. How, how are you different now having gone to Korea, having you know, connected with Korean relatives, like talk to them um, in Korean? And how do, you, how, are you, how do you feel like you're different now? You're back. Leading up to going to Korea, I'd been learning the language for three straight years, slowly being able to incorporate it into my relationships, just, but still just wondering, like, what would it be like? What, what is this? What is Asia like? You know, I, I hadn't been to Asia before that, but I'm, I'm just, I look so Asian, you know? <laughs> so in America, everything is coded through race directly. Right, right. How we look and how up until I start speaking to someone, they just assume I'm not from this country to this day. You know, that's something that in America is inescapable. Whereas in Korea, it's like 98% Korean. Right. And I'm passable as Korean. If I, if I dress better, perhaps they, they, they know I'm American because I dress poorly. Very stylish. That's true. Especially your age. I mean, I could get away with it because my age, but yeah. Yeah. Just going to Korea where race is not as central into the daily happenings of being a right. Korean citizen. People just have different problems across the world in terms yeah. of what's highlighted and most present in your life. Hmm. And that made me really humbled. At certain, at certain points, I felt like uncomfortable with the privilege of passing as the majority. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Something I'd never experienced in America. Mm-hmm. Going back to Asian American studies, I wanted to talk about one piece of media that you shared with us during that pilot class uh-huh. <laughs> that still sticks to me, still sticks with me, uh-huh. as just being super moving and so, a history that still to this day, no one knows. Can you guess what it is? Not the Vincent Chin. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to believe that's now 40 years ago, something like almost 40 years ago or something. And still really resonates today, I think. For anyone that hasn't seen Who Killed Vincent Chin, definitely recommend watching it because it's sort of like the early, uh, it explains the whole history of what happened in that period where there was a a pretty clear hate crime situation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that transpired in Detroit. And if you're just confused and angry now at what's happening to uh, Asians during coronavirus, this is another case study to look at. Yeah. Familiar with. Why, why was it so meaningful? Why did that stick um, with you? I think the film stuck with me so much because of, it was sort of like unearthing this hidden history almost that has been totally smushed and thrown into the trash by the model minority. Uh And I feel like that totally dominated my childhood and high school experience, just like Mm -hmm. we were a model minority. In school and in culture, we are not shown very many examples of Asian Americans being activists and and standing up for our own civil rights. Yeah. Right. To an extent, our our parents and um, even like my dad has kind of tried to mold my generation to, to be a little bit more passive, to be a little bit more on the safe side, you know, to be careful and, and not try to step on the toes of others. Even in high school, I knew that like, this was, this was gold. This was like yeah. what the, um, white America does not want you to see if you're yeah. trying to understand Asian American place in uh, America. Yeah. So, no question. No question. yeah. So I, that, I think, Dylan and I were just like, oh my God, like, yeah, why, like, even though we considered ourselves as 
knowledgeable about our own history to an extent. Like we're like, we had never seen this. So seeing the level of passion in that film where it makes you angry to watch yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was something that I knew would be relevant. Like that film is just so relevant always. Yeah. Well, and if you think you're absolutely right, if you think about today, I mean, we can think about the events of yesterday and storming the Capitol, right? That was really the, the kind of incited, I mean, it's sort of a remarkable story, right? President of the United States basically incites a riot and, uh, and incites people, you know, stokes white anger to go and, and to go and do this, right? And if we think about the Vincent Chin um, uh, case, what really we're talking about, right, again, is white um, working class anger, right, in Detroit that takes it out on this guy who um, is on the, you know, on the eve of his wedding or is at a kind of, you know, bachelor party of sort. And they didn't, I mean, they didn't just, you know, this wasn't just a, a bar brawl gone wrong. This was someone who was fought, chased, followed, and essentially hunted down and then beat to death, right, uh, with a baseball bat. And so, um, and a lot of the same, you know, thinking about, thinking back now to that original documentary and thinking about the episodes of kind of, uh, of, of white anger, I think it's as relevant today, given what we're seeing in America today, um, as, as, as it, has been since the 80s since it happened right how do you talk about these really hard current events that i'm sure many of them will go down in history books as just moments of america being stupid <laughs> or uh, yeah, yeah. You know, stuff that's just totally affecting our daily lives our sense of safeness yeah and like how how, how as a teacher do you approach starting those conversations and i'm sure you've talked about current events um, in your Asian American class yeah. as they were happening uh, in 2020. Yeah. So how does, how does that, um, how do you approach that? What I try to do, I, I guess in a classroom, it's like, I, I think one shouldn't avoid these topics at all. Like, I think that they need to, you know, they, they need to be addressed because in some ways they're kind of like the elephant in the room, right? Anyway, this is what everybody's thinking about, um, even if you're trying to talk about someone else and, or something else. And so, the idea of ignoring it, I think, is not an option. And I think teenagers are naturally curious and want to talk about things as well. And so I think as a teacher in moments like that, and we've had a lot of these moments in the last four years with this administration, right, that I think you simply want to provide a space where people can kind of express themselves and and also make sure that you provide a space where everybody kind of feels comfortable, you know, sort of having, getting to say what they want to say. Let's transition a little bit into sure. the arts and as well as um, just, just what, what you witnessed when I started performing. And then eventually when I came back to, to UHS, um, what do you remember from very, very early Son of Paper before I was even called Son of Paper, actually? Yeah. 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 What do you remember, Chris? Yeah. So I remember, I think I remember two things. Um, one, no, well, two things stick out. Um, one is I remember, didn't you perform? Maybe you were a sophomore, maybe you were a junior. At some point you performed for the entire school. That's like my earliest memory was you performing. I don't know if it was a holiday assembly or something like that, but that was, so that's my earliest memory. And I remember just sitting there thinking, 
I didn't know that Kyle was doing this, right? And, uh, but I also remember from high school that there, and I remember from that performance that there was always a kind of social justice, um, Asian American identity element to what your, what your work was. And that was, how, how would you describe like where you are today in terms of the music that you're writing, um, the the material that you're that you're producing, how's it different from where you kind of started out? Like, how have you grown as like an artist? Here again, I, I feel like I'm like the perpetual teacher here. I'm like, look, you know, let me ask you a question. Let me call on you, uh, Kyle. I was definitely <clears throat> of the. I wouldn't even call it social justice warrior because I I don't think I was more just angry or. <laughs> You're a teenager. You're supposed I was to a be a teenager, right? Yeah. So I was it's normal. Yeah, writing about things, ways that I've like have felt wronged or judged or damaged, I guess, from just being in the states. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I think it's just that perpetual foreigner type of energy that I've gotten, um, and not even knowing how to really put a name or meaning onto it, trying to assign meaning. So that was the initial impetus. Mm-hmm. to start writing and creating songs and i wanted people just to hear me vent essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think over the years and i've gotten to a place now where i'm just trying to make beautiful songs mm-hmm. and so it's more about now trying to say something bigger say uh this is what i want to say and this is my supporting evidence almost making it like a, a paper a thesis yeah yeah um and then packaging all of that with visuals music videos, mm-hmm. then preparing all the media and branding around it. So also treating it like a small business. So I've evolved in the sense that I'm not just making art anymore. I'm actually trying to make a living out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Like it's, uh, if you can make, you know, what's that distinction that is often made between, you know, the difference between making a living and making a life. And the lucky ones are the ones who can make a living at the life they're living, right? And um, and I just think uh, I think that's great. I think that's just terrific. Definitely, I think I think that UHS, even though uh, for the most part socially it was rough, and yeah. in terms of finding any sort of sense of identity, it was rough. Everything about it, excellent, and was it, it was the springboard I needed to be academically rigorous at, at any or even competent in any job. Like it was so hard and also so like provided me so many tools mm-hmm. and excellent professors or teachers that I think are even better than some professors I had in, in college <laughs> that I was just ready for the world. So yeah. Yeah. it armed me for that. So for that reason, I think, and I think that's true for a lot of UHS alumni that we don't necessarily miss being at, at UHS <laughs> and not all of our friends that we made there, but we do are greatly appreciative of how we were then prepared for life and able to, yeah, to like be a self-advocate. Yeah. yeah. In, in any class, like I'm, I'm not afraid to talk to another, to a professor, whereas yeah. some of my, my Wesleyan peers were like, I don't want to look bad. I don't know how to talk to them. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we were in, in class calling prof- uh, teachers by their first name. Like it was, yeah. they yeah. go into office hours all the time. Yeah. Somebody so, called me Mr. Martin the other day. Like, well, I, I don't think it was a student. I forget. Maybe it was like I was interviewing an eighth grader or something. And, uh, 
I was sort of like jarred. I'm like, wait a minute, that's that's not my name. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's pretty funny. It's very exciting to see your uh, former students um, excel and succeed, and especially doing something that they that they believe in, that they're passionate about, that they love to do. So. Absolutely. Well, on that note, um, just want to thank you for coming on the pod today. Uh, I want to do one. We're do one last cheers. Is how we close out the pod. All right, fantastic. All right. Um, Thanks for coming. All right, cheers. My pleasure, and uh, we'll be in touch. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Tea with My Uncle Iros. Catch us every Monday on your favorite podcasting service. TWMUI is written and produced by me. Definitely rate and review us on iTunes and follow me at Son of Paper on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Theme music by Keys. For more, visit facebook.com slash unlockedkeys. Spill with y'all next time on Tea with my Uncle Iros.